as coaches, you guys know, we stand for an impossibility. People come to us thinking there's a roadblock, there's a limitation, and we help them walk them into new paradigms, new ways of experiencing life altogether. You're listening to the Building a Coaching Culture podcast. If you need to compete and win in the 21st century labor market as an employer of choice, this podcast is for you. Each week, we share leadership development, coaching, and culture development insights from leading experts who are developing world-class cultures in their own organizations. And now, here's your host, J.R. Flatter. All right, welcome back, everybody. I'm J.R. Flatter, and as always, I'm here with Lucas. Hello. And we are here with the distinguished guest, Jewel Edward Love, Jr., our audience, I think, is similar to your audience in many regards, leaders of complex organizations that are learning to succeed in this 21st century, in this hyper-competitive labor market. I'm staring at your LinkedIn profile. You're a pretty, pretty impressive guy. But I want you to just take a few minutes and brag about yourself and tell everybody who you are and what you're doing. And well, I'm going to need a little bit more than a few minutes. But uh, I'll try. I'll try and <laughs> keep it to that. So I am an executive coach. However, I'm also a licensed psychotherapist in the state of California. The niche audience that I work with and I've been working with for the past almost eight years now is black men in mid-level and senior leadership roles. And I help them with the three S's, salary, seniority, and job satisfaction. Uh, I've led workshops, talks, and trainings at Microsoft, Google, NVIDIA, PayPal, Medtronic, Capital One, Upwork, and a lot of other organizations, specifically helping their African-American employees get the mindset, skill set, and connections that they need to advance. I have a newsletter. It has a few thousand followers. It comes out every single day, and I'm working on my first book now. I don't even think that was 45 seconds. <laughs> oh, let me, let me, let me stretch <laughs> it out a little good. bit. It's so, so in third grade, I won the award <laughs> spelling bee twice. And that uh, changed the path of your life. It, it, it did. <laughs> in boys club in the sixth grade, I was the bumper pool champion. There you yeah, go, we, we can keep this thing. Now going. we're getting to the important stuff. <laughs> what really matters. So, I live and breathe coaching. I'm a coach like you, and I'm a coach trainer. A lot of our listeners are trying to figure out, you know, what is this coaching thing all about? I give a three-hour workshop called Learn, See, and Give. Learn about coaching, see it, because I'll coach somebody, and then they coach each other. The first thing you said is, I'm an executive coach. In your world, what does that mean? So being an executive coach is working with people at the highest level of the organization. Uh, so that can mean different things to different people. What that actually translates to for me is working director level and up. So that's going to be director, senior director, VP, SVP, and C-suite leaders. That is going to be, or the sessions I should say are going to be slightly different. The politics are going to be a little bit different. Roles and responsibilities, the ways people are thinking are going to be a little bit different, but there's also a lot of similarities in there as well. Being in leadership, and senior leadership within the organization. You had mentioned um, focusing on those three S's, you know, salary, seniority, and satisfaction. Is there a balance between those, or is one kind of 
more of a focus for you than the others or how does that play out day to day? Yeah. So with clients, it money is probably 80% of the time a factor. They want more of it. They're always looking to increase their total compensation package. And sometimes that's based on the lifestyle or retirement that they're trying to lead or achieve. And many times it's also just about ego and status. It's a marker. At that level, they typically have enough money to pay for their kids' private schools, go on the vacations, pay off the mortgage, et cetera. But it's just about being able to really acquire more and take their lifestyle to the next level. As far as seniority, that piece, it's oftentimes about influence that they can have and their impact on a larger part of the organization and on people's lives. So seniority is also important psychologically as a reward for growth, for loyalty, and for achievement within the organization. So that's really important. As far as satisfaction, that typically boils down to them being passionate about what they're doing and the impact that they're making, both in their professional mission and related to their impact statement. The professional mission simply being the impact that they want to have on the world of business with their career. That's essentially their North Star, that whether it's a promotion or a new job, new company, they filter it through that to make sure its values align for them in their professional mission going forward. Their impact statement is simply the impact they want to make on people, animals, or the planet in very tangible ways. I mean, even if they're selling big old tires, the impact statement could be helping families get home safe. Something. Simon Sinek talks about the deeper why. This taps into that. It's the driver that's beyond monetary. All three of these are a level of currency. And when one is missing, it can be lopsided and the individual can feel unappreciated. And that can start to impact motivation, performance, etc. So one of the things that I've learned about and focused on and growing a coaching business is how are the leaders that work with you different than when they begin and when they're finished? What is the, if you could go as far as to say, what's your quantifiable end result? Like for me, it's a coaching accreditation. For you, it's a... A raise. Yeah. A promotion, a new job. Those are really the three measures of success for most of the guys that, so most of the guys that come to me, they're looking for more. They're looking to get to the next level of seniority, make more money, or get a new job. And I help them with the skill sets, the positioning, essentially the repackaging, highlighting what their strengths are in order for them to beat out their competition and be positioned as the best choice and ideally is the only viable choice for that next role or that job. So those are really the concrete things. Does that always happen? When I'm working with the client, absolutely not. There's some times where we, we're working together, they get the skill sets, and then they ride off into the sunset. And sometimes I'll hear back from them and they got something or they're still working on it. Sometimes I don't. But those really are the measures of success and what my clients want to achieve. You also mentioned earlier the mindset that you kind of help people get to you know, get that job promotion or the raise or the new job. Is the mindset usually a limiting factor or is it more like the practical, like, oh, you need to hit the ground and grind out some resumes? Yeah. So this is, this is one of my favorite uh, questions and topics to talk about. 
So the mindset. So I talk about many times mindset, skill set, and then connections. On the mindset, people, if we're just talking, I mean, this really applies to getting a new job and getting a promotion. There's really three positions to be in when getting a new job or going for a promotion. And the three are, number one, it's the lowest level. It's called a corporate beggar. Corporate beggars will do pretty much anything within the corporation. They typically use phrases such as, I'll take whatever they can give me. I just need a job, stuff like that. It's the worst place to be negotiating from or trying to gain a new role from that position. The second level up is what's called a commodity hire. Now, commodity hires are technically qualified to do the role, but there's nothing particularly exciting or unique or special in the way that they do their job. They're typically, you know, if and when hired, shown to their desk, expected to do a good job. And that's pretty much it. Like a barber at Supercuts or a dentist at Western Dental, these people come and go. Whether they're there or not, somebody else can jump right in and keep the business moving along. This is a commodity hire. Better positioning-wise than a corporate beggar, but most people fall into the commodity hire category. And then the top-tier position is being a specialist. Specialists are the best in the world at what they do. They know their zone of genius, as I talked about earlier, professional mission, impacts uh, statement, their uh, greatest strength. They know these things. And if you think about it, like at a hospital, a neurosurgeon, a nurse, and an intake coordinator, they're all important, but these people don't even eat lunch together. There's completely different levels to this. So what I do with my clients mindset wise is position them as a specialist. This is best in the world at what they do literally, not just figuratively. So when they are presenting their value, be it through their resume or during an interview or hopnobbing or networking, it's all up front with the value that they bring and that they would likely bring to that role, which helps them to edge over and ideally beat out their competitors. So as I listen to you describe what you do, it doesn't sound like it happens quickly. What does the arc of a typical engagement look like for you? Absolutely. So. I have three programs. I have a gold, silver, and bronze program, starting with the bronze. It's three months of weekly coaching and 50 minutes. And the silver program, six months, gold program, 12 months. What I call it is their executive blueprint. All the skill sets, mindsets, and framework for connections that they're going to need to land their next job, uh, raise, promotion. That's three months. They get all the information skill set within that time. Six months, it's just going to be a longer engagement where we can really refine and hone those skills and mindsets to make it really authentically them. 12 months, it's just for longer application. People that want a bit more handholding development in their process as well. It comes with some different amenities. One that's interesting that some coaches offer, some don't is what we call the network. So the network, and I'll share why this is important, uh, maybe not specifically, but definitely for black men in corporate America, is access to all of our previous clients. So you got to think about it like this. Numerically or statistically, there are not a ton of black people slash black men in corporate America. The numbers are relatively low. So these guys are coming in, sure, 
they've gone to Yale or Harvard or Michigan or UC Santa Barbara or a historically black college or university, Morehouse, Howard, something like that. And yet when they're getting to the corporate environment, they're going to be one of the only, especially if they start really climbing the ranks. VP, they're going to be the only black man there nine times out of 10. So while talking business and talking shop may be the same, there are going to be some cultural concerns that they're not going to be able to go to their non-black peers and get lived informed experience, uh, advice or counsel about, but it relates to their professional success. So by having this network of other black men experience something similar, they can go to that network and get best practices for how to overcome a certain obstacle, skill sets, mindsets, all of that. So the silver and gold programs have access to the BEM, Black Executive Men, network as well. So that's a value add and also a lever to pull for them to really engage deeper as far as the silver and the gold program. You have a really unique perspective from, you know, the person looking for a new position or, you know, to get promoted or what have you. But could you speak to the employer perspective? How how can they kind of facilitate finding these specialists, number one? And then number two, particular with your, ni- with your niche in um, executive black men? Yeah. So an employer looking for a specialist, one of the things that you really want to look for is the unique value add that the candidate is going to bring to your organization. They've done research. Ideally, they know what's going on in your industry. They know what's going on, the innovations, challenges at your specific organization. They've done research on the leadership team. They know who they are. They have some familiarity, ideally a lot, with the role that they're applying for. And they can apply a three, four, or five-step system. Essentially, they can detail how they would get the job done. They're not just out there freestyling it. They can give you a system that's going to have repeatable, high-quality results. All of these things in this piece of the puzzle, in addition to them being values aligned with the mission of the organization and possibly even uh, the specific innovations of the team or the division that they're going to be on. All of these things help to ensure that they're internally motivated beyond just the money. You want somebody that's motivated beyond just the money. They're going to want to have some ideally belief that carries them to work hard and go over and above in order to get the job done and be a team player. And if that's what you're looking for, which my guess is it is, to rise up in the ranks over some amount of time to really build that institutional institutional knowledge and be a leader for others that come behind them. So I would say values aligned, good to expert level knowledge on their industry, innovations within your organization. All of this is important and that their professional mission truly aligns with your organization and ideally the role itself. It's looking for essentially a perfect fit that they are there, not just for any organization within the industry, but your organization, because your organization is not like, it's not the same as any other company. You have specific values, innovations, unique ways of delivering your product or service, and you want somebody that wants to move that way and forward the organization that you specifically have. 
So that's one of the keys is they're specialized. Even if they haven't worked there, there's a ton they can learn and should be learning and will be learning ahead of time if they're a specialist and looking to be a specialist at your org. So I, I see a really powerful vibe running through your remarks. And I'm going to ask you, I'm not going to declare it. As we're in the 24th year of the 21st century, there's this theme that achievement might be less than noble. And you have just this high achievement vibe running through you. It seems like that's what you work with your customers. Talk to me about that, if you would. It's incredibly important. Achievement is incredibly important. It's not just about the money. The money is very important, actually. But it's not just about the money. Talk about the human potential movement. It's about fulfilling one's potential. And that can give, especially for my guys, a sense of fulfillment, which connects to internal sense of joy and a level of peace that they're both firing on all cylinders actually gives them a sense of peace. And when they're not, they're disturbed by it. They're not okay. They're frustrated. Home life, family life could be going well. It could be going horrible, but this is something different. This is their, well, it's their career. And this is an essential part of my guy's life. They're not, they would not be happy just sitting at home, you know, watching television or watching YouTube. They're incredibly driven. And so what they're looking for is the tools to help unlock more of their potential so they can make more impact and they can win. They're competitive as well. I'm a chess player. I play competitively. And I'm telling you, when your opponent is, is focused on your queen, but you're focused on their king, and you checkmate. It's just one of the best feelings out there. So those are many of my guys as well. Uh, and I'm glad and interested that you bring up the commentary on achievement and maybe a decrease in emphasis on it. And I want to just, you know, wholeheartedly say yes. And because I'm so submerged in the world that I'm in, it's it's about getting to the next level over here. And, and it feels great to do so. So if I could continue to pull that thread, when people show up at your door, they're already in the 1%. And you talk about incredible drive and sense of achievement. I think that's very noble. And I think you and I as coaches and mentors, Lucas is a coach as well, need to talk about and, and, and communicate. Breakout success requires breakout contribution. Absolutely. You know, so my guys definitely arrive as the 1%. And yet, they're not so much competing with other people. There is a competition with other people, sure. It's more about themselves. It's so much more about themselves. So whether they're making a million dollars or making a hundred thousand dollars, there's a drive to become more. There's a drive to impact more. It's, it's inside of them. And the reason why I, I somewhat qualify that is because they're willing to leave their organization. So it, it, it's not necessarily like they have to beat out the people at their own company. It's about them being able to advance. And if they can't do that at their organization, then, then they're, they're willing to leave. One of the things that we talk about is really creating generational wealth and how one's career, it's not just about serving clients and making sure your boss is happy, but there's the piece that's really about being able to set up your children, your grandchildren, and your great-grandchildren 
so they can have high quality food. They can go to the schools they want to go to. They can live in the neighborhood that they want to live in. They can travel to have those investments in place for them to do so. And so maximizing your career, it's simply a strategy for that. So I don't advise people have a bunch of company loyalty or, or, or things of that nature. It's about being competitive, winning on your ultimate goal, which is setting up your family. And if you want to extend it out to your community, so be it for long-term success. And so having a high achieving job, reaching the C-suite, getting a, a paid corporate board of directors role, all that is in service of this larger overall goal and, and mission. And many of the times the guys have not done all of that work. So that can lead, that's what can lead into larger engagements and mindset shifts as well. Speaking of, um, you know, the big role that family and you know, the home aspect has in people's drives, how much of the work that you do is, you know, making sure that the family doesn't get left behind, making sure that the balance is there where you're still able to, you know, enjoy your personal life outside of the professional life? So work-life balance, it's key. And it's fortunately, it's becoming more of a conversation that organizations are having these days, especially since COVID hit and mental health has just become a huge topic. It used to be very taboo, especially in the corporate arena. And now there's just so much more money going into that conversation and talks around well-being. And so ultimately, if a client of mine is able to navigate and balance out their workload, then we work on that at their current organization. And that's got to be a very much a value for them as well. And if they're not able to do it at their current organization and they're leading to burnout or it's costing them on the family home front, then it becomes a conversation around the satisfaction piece, which is finding them an organization, finding an organization where they can have all three. As coaches, you guys know, we stand for an impossibility. People come to us thinking there's a roadblock, there's a limitation, and we help them walk them into new paradigms, new ways of experiencing life altogether. So for me, in my mind, that's a very doable thing. Salary, seniority, satisfaction. But for many of my guys, it just seems impossible or this is how it has to be or there's no other way. And so I walk them into where they'd like to be. And yet, they have to be on board with that. that. That's a decision that they have to both make and something they need to value. Yeah, I'm smiling because uh, one of the characteristics that we teach, we build houses of leadership with people. And the second to the last session is, I want you to be unreasonable. I want you to introduce new realms of the possible to you and to the people around you. And it comes from George Bernard Shaw, 1901 place, Man and Superman, where there are unreasonable people in the world that they create all the change in the world. And if you're going to change the vector of your life and the vector of your family's life, we think you need to be a little bit unreasonable. So I chuckled when I heard you say that. Love it. Love it. Yeah. And even in that, even in that piece, there's really something to be said about that. My style is very direct. I like to say I'm, uh, you know, 80% direct and like 20% teddy bear, you know, like, I got that. Of course, I've definitely got that emotional literacy. It's huge. It's a very big piece of the puzzle. And yet, I don't know. You, I mean, you, you tell me it's like personality type or, or, or something about that really clarity on how things should be and saying it and bringing people along for that ride. It's essentially a standard 
is what I'm observing that's being said. And it's polarizing. And some people hop on board wholeheartedly. And some people, they, they rebel and act out or disagree. And I've noticed in my, in my community, you know, I just tell them very frankly, this is the message here. And if you're not on board with this, there's other messages and you should go to those communities and get what you're looking for. But this is what's happening here and people that want to go back and forth, you know, I'll just forward the point. No, I think this would be good for you too. And really have them think about it. And sometimes you'd be surprised at how helpful that can be for some people. Tough love is what I've been accused of. Last name is love. <laughs> Alter ego. Even in my world, <laughs> at my age, I have friends who say, you've had all this success and what a shame it is. You can't enjoy any of it. And I'm like, I said, I don't say it out loud, but I'm like, dude, you don't even know who I am because this drive comes from within. I love what you said, you know, several minutes ago, it's all about them and uh, their journey. And when we build houses of leadership people, it's their house. We don't judge it. It's theirs. You mentioned burnout a couple minutes ago and, and how, you know, that can be a potential place where people get where, you know, you're working extremely hard. And, and also that mindset that like, where could I possibly go if I'm already working 110%? Can you speak to somebody that might feel that way and what kind of perspective they might need to have to move forward? Yeah. So two come to mind. I think the, probably the most problematic one where burnout comes to mind is not getting rewarded. Most of my guys don't have an issue with hard work. Jim Rohn talked about they want to be on, not off, on. They're, they want Monday to come. They're on vacation sending emails. They live for this. So it's not typically so much a matter of, for my guys, so much of being overworked, it's not seeing the result. It's not, it's not getting the pat on the back in terms of actual promotion, in terms of more money. That's it. That's the real thank you. And then there, there is the satisfaction piece, which is acknowledging the impact that they've had on the organization. It is the thank you pieces of the puzzle. So for guys in those uh, scenarios, yeah, we're looking at, are they positioning themselves in an undervalued or devalued way? And if they switch their positioning, they can be seen as, heard as the next level up. And it just makes sense for them to get that role. So that's one avenue. The other is exiting and using that same approach. But because once people's perception of you is locked in, it can be hard to change. If they see you as a manager, you know, for five years, not going to be a direct, like the chances are just so slim and it gets tighter and tighter as you move up the corporate ladder. I think the other thing that comes to mind is guys that are in that burnout phase, working a lot and just receiving, you know, just getting all the money, the accolade. I can't think of a single client that's in that scenario that has satisfaction, has money, and has seniority that's just overwhelmed. And so, guys, I know you're out there. I know you're out there. It's just maybe I don't, yeah, I, I haven't. I'm going to look into that, Lucas. That's a really good thing to actually look into. Uh, got it all, still burned out. It kind of begs the question of, is it really just about cutting back hours or is there really something else going on? Are they not on purpose? Are they? But that's the satisfaction piece, which is why I don't think I've seen it. Yeah. And I guess I'm, I'm just thinking of like, you know, maybe somebody 
is like a Ferrari engine going 60 miles an hour versus like my Toyota Prius, you know, going the same speed. And it's like some people look, you know, it, it's, it looks easy to some and then who knows what's going on behind the scenes. I've actually taken a Toyota Prius over the Grapevine Pass at 110 miles an hour. It'll do it. I can, I can tell you from personal. Now, I broke down in Bakersfield because of that. But that's another story. So you've mentioned generational wealth a couple of times, and there's many kinds of wealth. There's many kinds of capital. And for me, it was generational transformation. And I needed wealth to do that. And you, you mentioned you know, changing the vector. So I'd like to revisit this idea of uh, the nobility of creating that kind of change in, a, in multi-generational change. Sure. So I can speak from experience. My grandfather, World War II veteran and one of the initial members over at Kaiser Permanente. So I know there's people around the world listening. This is a major hospital group which started out in California and now it's in a few states primarily in the western part of the United States, uh, really focused on investing and made sure that his children were set up and his grandchildren, me, set up and great-grandchildren set up. So we didn't have to pay for our college education. We had great education, but we didn't get saddled with the debt that so many of my now colleagues have for 20 years that can weigh them down as they're trying to make their career choices moving forward. It had, you know, thankfully, we had the opportunity to get loans for college education. And yet there are real impacts to that, to not having access to capital, to to money, to wealth, to make our lives doable and easier. And for our children, our grandchildren and great-grandchildren. You know, I was thinking about this. I just wrote in uh, my newsletter. I think it was yesterday or the day before. You know, without these things, we have to t- typically repl- um, rely on the government. And that's going to put us in a very limited, a very small scope of what we, we can really do. And the world is huge and there's a lot of great services and opportunities and experiences. And it's important to be able to live full out and to have these experiences. And to and it's part of the richness of life in addition to our daily relationships. So for me and the standard that I set for my guys and my community, it's not just about them being successful and blowing it all in their lifetime. Those guys are failures over here. It's about setting it up for generations to come. One of the best ways to build happy families, communities, we can even take it out to a country. It's a philosophy that's always been winning. So you mentioned the newsletter and a light bulb went off and I was thinking like, I wonder if he's using like any sort of AI tools to like help generate ideas or, you know, even help write. So my question is, um, in your, you know, in your perspective, how does AI, how is AI going to factor into coaching, whether it's, you know, marketing or coaching itself? Yeah. So, you know, it's an AI newsletter when the last paragraph says, in conclusion, that's all you need to see to know that AI, either AI or fifth grader. It was either AI or <laughs> that's how they taught us to do it. In conclusion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So AI is phenomenal. It's incredible what's going on there. Yes, larger conversation around jobs and the future and things, but just for, I think, the more immediate reality for coaches and business owners 
It's phenomenal. I write all my own content and I do that for a couple of reasons. Number one, AI is not, it doesn't have the, I don't know if it's knowledge or definitely not awareness, but it doesn't have the insights that I have in working with my clients. Will it get there in the future? Sure, maybe, excuse me, probably, but it doesn't have it now. So it still comes across as a little too general for my particular audience. So that's one of the reasons why I, I write, just to be a really a specialist, like best in the world at what I do. It, needs, it still needs my brain for now. The other thing is I learn my subject even better when I write about it. So as I'm jotting it down, I'm thinking through, I'm thinking through it conceptually. I'm thinking through different case studies. I'm thinking through how to apply it, and I create frameworks out of it. So I'll put different ideas together, and now it's the four pillars for career success. And as I'm sending this out, people will call me on a consultation and say, uh, you know, I need to work on my four pillars of career success. So I'm teaching, I'm setting standards, I'm setting the norms for my community, and I can't rely on AI to do that. It's not, it's not doing that as far as what I can tell, nor do I want it to do that. At this time, I want to be the one in control of creating that and having that be just some, something that authentically comes from my sessions with the clients themselves. As far as marketing, sure. So there's a bunch of AI technology out right now which can reach out to people in different roles and different backgrounds, demographics, business-wise, and custom and email directly to them. That could be more tailored than just a general email. I'm not using that for right now. It's uh, just not something that I'm using. The way that I'm doing business, it works for me. I don't quite need it yet. LinkedIn, they're somewhat aware of some of these different technologies as well. And so I have used stuff in the past and VAs and stuff like that in the past. And they're really cracking down. So I do a lot of that uh, actually manual myself. I do use ChatGPT. I do use Jasper a lot for, let's say, social media. Uh, let's say I have some content and I want to put the context for it. I'll have them create that. When I'm writing, I will go over to, you know, like Grammarly and make sure that all my grammar is correct or writer. There's just a bunch of tools out there that I'm, I'm leaning into. I'm a mid-journey guy. So all of the images that I get now, I'm having them created over it. Mid-journey. I mean, it's phenomenal. The explosion that's happening in AI is just... It's incredible, and I'm in. I'm actually in Mexico right now. The business is based in the United States, but as I even walk around this town of Guadalajara, and there are definitely all kind of advanced businesses here. There's a lot of tools that people still aren't using. So those who take advantage of this are going to have, at least in the next probably you know five years at least, they're going to have a massive advantage. So I recommend it. Hop on board. Find the tools that work for you. But find ways to stay authentic as well, because people are finding ways to sniff out the BS as they should. Well, I like that um, you were talking about all the ways that you are distinguished from AI, like this is what makes me special, because that actually makes you special versus the competition as well. So it's really good. Well, that concludes this episode of Building a Coaching Culture. I truly hope that this episode was helpful to you. If it was... Be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Maybe stop and give us a rating or a review and share this podcast with someone who might find it helpful as well. 
Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.